0: Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me, the podcast for parents of young children. And we want to share your stories and all those crazy, contradictory feelings that come with being a parent. We believe in you. You got this, even on the craziest of days, and you are most definitely not alone.
1: Hey, listeners,
0: the host of this podcast wants you to celebrate the messiness of life with kids. That means we don't need an expert to explain our kids to us. We just need to sit back so we can truly see, hear, and love our kids. My family has been lucky enough
1: to attend B'nai Torah, where Karen's enthusiasm and joy for all aspects of parenting has been a breath of fresh air and always gives us hope that we can do it.
0: Karen Deerwester believes that when we see, hear, and love the messy moments of life with kids, we're able to give our children everything they need. Karen has been a teacher, author, and a leader in early childhood education for decades. And there is nothing, nothing that doesn't make sense if we take time to connect with each child
1: exactly where they are. And right where we are with all of our messiness, too. Here's today's podcast.
0: Today's podcast is tummy time. Floor time, freedom, exploration, movement. I am so excited to have a pediatric occupational therapist mom, baby whisperer, and overall very special person here with me today. I have Shannon Vicentin. She is a Boca local. She is here to help all of you that are in the area, but her wisdom goes way beyond um, those of you that will get to work with her one-on-one. But I'm always grateful for her time and her insights into how children learn and grow and thrive. For years I had Shannon come and visit our Discover Me class so that she could give us the best kickoff to uh, baby stages but I haven't had her for a while and now I think oh we can have her on the podcast and she can always be available to give you these the, her her wisdom her wisdom and her insights so Shannon why is baby time why is tummy time so important for baby development and the other big question how can moms manage and dads the stress and frustration of encouraging tummy time for babies who hate it
1: welcome Shannon <laughs> thank you Karen so tummy time is my big soapbox and it's something that I promote to my family, my friends, anyone who will listen because tummy time is the first Step to the rest of development. And first step. the first step. So, when babies come out, you know, the first thing parents say is their head is not ready to go on tummy time. Their neck is not strong enough. And this is what I tell them the only way to get your neck strong enough is to pick up your head against gravity. So, If parents don't feel comfortable with putting them on any type of surface, you can just put them on your chest and have them try to lift that head and it's amazing what babies can do right away. They can pick up their head, they start to learn to pick up their head and that's their first encounter with a 3D world. Um, If we wait, A couple weeks on that encounter with their 3d world then usually babies do not like tummy time they start to feel fussy about it why
0: don't babies like tummy time
1: it's a weird experience it feels pressure on their stomach and it's new and it's hard you know it's like going to the gym it's it's working hard with your neck it's not supported anymore but they get through it Yeah, yeah
0: yeah okay so you're going to say on your on parents chest as so early as possible. Yes. Now, um, so and then on the floor or on a roll, a, a towel roll or something else.
1: Immediate
0: weeks, months weeks so you're just saying go right for it oh
1: days days because you know that skin to skin contact right away mm-hmm. after you give birth is really important having that touch and that tactile awareness and that heartbeat so they're already on their stomach there and you can just angle yourself up sitting in a chair and having them kind of angle or on the floor with a pillow so that they're you know on tummy time but on your chest looking at you and getting those first eye contact mm-hmm. and Yeah, but if not, later on, you know, I get a lot of kids with reflux. That seems to be a huge deal lately, and I understand we need to keep that food inside. It's really important, those nutrients. But um, usually a wedge, they make a lot of nice things now that are wedges. They even have seatbelt type of things so they can't fall off. Just any way to elevate them, you know, wait 30 minutes after they eat and then try to do 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever you can get. Okay, because I remember
0: one time you were advocating for years, uh, for for hours of tummy time for newborns. And I remember saying to parents, okay, I don't want you to be like up against the wall, backed in the corner, hating life and (laughs) dreading that you have to coerce your baby into this experience. So start with 5 minutes an hour. What's the best conditions to introduce Tommy time?
1: Just face to face, face to face. Make it fun. You on the floor. With you on maybe. the floor. Use a mirror. Use toys. Get down on the floor with them. They want to see you singing, music, anything to engage a child to be happy. Your
0: presence is the soothing. Your presence is. I believe in this, and it's safe, and it's okay, even though I'm asking you to exert some effort. Right, they need
1: to feel protected still. And you, so. and just you being present, yes. they feel you. They touch. know. Yeah, just some soothing touch, a hand yeah. on their lower back to let them know that that pressure is okay. And you know, if they start to cry too hard, then try to soothe them out of it, and then pick them up you know not right away but you don't want your your infant screaming you know nobody right. wants them screaming and we don't want it's not like it to tough be, love no oh, just deal
0: no, with it no, no, and no, i no. have to do this no it is we'll do all. it gradually we'll build up to this i will keep revisiting it even though it feels way out of my comfort zone as a loving new parent
1: absolutely and they will gain endurance and they are they love Light up toys and mirrors so that you can kind of redirect them. And then, if not, you can move your child to their side because change of position is giant. It is huge for that head. Too many babies are coming to OT and PT saying that they have this new flat head syndrome. And flat head syndrome does not exist. That's plagiocephaly, and that's the change of the shape of a child's head. And that can affect many things. You know, you could see a lot of kids walking around with the hair that's missing. In the the back of their head and they have that flat head sometimes in the back but that can affect your jaw that can affect your vision that can affect a lot of things so that okay flat head. so
0: big point because yes. i mean that's the beauty this is why i love everything that you know because the ot perspective on the world is everything is connected mind Body and heart. And so all learning comes down to this. And so it's not just cosmetic that we're worrying about flatheads.
1: Oh, yeah. And and getting that 3D view of the world on tummy time also has you start to rotate your head. And rotating your head is is training your vision you know you're learning how to scan your environment and that's very very important okay explain the building blocks oh, okay all right from <laughs> floor time
0: from tummy time floor time vision tracking control the vestib- all that crazy ot stuff yes
1: so starting with the floor then your child is learning how to pick up their head rotate their head and starting to probably roll over rolling is very important for that vestibular system which is your balance system. It's your inner ear, which connects all your sensory systems. It connects your vision. It actually connects your emotions. Explain how that pans out at pre-K and kindergarten. Oh, So, yeah, so once we start to roll, we start to get some tummy muscles, we start to get some side muscles, your obliques, and then we start to get up into quadruped, and all of those muscles that we need for writing, for holding a spoon, for cutting, come from the weight-bearing and quadruped. So it's all a sequence. It's a developmental sequence that has to happen in order, and it has to happen you know, together. We can't just skip through it really quickly. Um, it needs to form because those sensations are forming the brain. Forming the brain and the Mm -hmm. eye tracking is how you're going to be able to read and, and even manage yourself in space. And eye contact and and visual attention. So all of those things happen. Rolling's really huge. Army crawling, another really big one. If you don't do tummy time and you're not comfortable on your stomach, and this is also another big pointer I give parents, take those socks off. I understand it might be chilly. Turn the air up and take those socks off because the traction of the toes on the foot is very important to help them push into that army crawl. It also integrates some primitive reflexes that need to go away in the first year of life
0: yeah <laughs> um, and tell us tell us about how the pressure on the palms of the hand when they start pushing themselves up is has to do with speech and language. Uh, I know those, those,
1: those <laughs> hands are definitely connected to the mouth, so babies their first experience with things. Uh, for speech is putting items in their mouth they have to desensitize their mouth they have to learn where to place their tongue move their tongue around your hands are very much connected to your mouth you got to get items to your mouth Um, a lot of speech therapists actually work on the hands to get to the mouth because of that connection there's also a, a primitive reflex called the babkin which teaches you know it's connecting that hand to the mouth with suck and swallow and those need to kind of integrate also through time or else we still have that strong connection a lot of kids will open their mouth really big when they're writing and cutting later in life or you see those tongues hanging out while they're doing gross motor um gross motor play so all of these things need to kind of go in the sequence it's very important for weight bearing on those hands because it forms those intrinsic muscles of those hands and those little muscles of your hands are what make you hold a pencil and a crayon
0: what i have a million questions for you um A big umbrella question first is explain development, how development works for learning, and you're using words like integration and and the connection, and and for a layperson, you know, early childhood people talk about play, Mm -hmm. but it's explain those building blocks to really what we're doing with brain development and all the physical, emotional, and cognitive systems.
1: Yeah, sure. So, through the, the basics of development, you're forming the pyramid of learning. And your pyramid at the bottom looks like all those first sensory experiences – and then you kind of build on top of that with your strength, okay. I, your coordination. Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait. Sensory, sensory. Explain yes, sensory. Yes, okay.
1: <laughs> well, everyone knows the five senses. Those are the basic ones. You have your five senses, and then you have a lot of other senses going on. But the two that I you know, treat most frequently is that vestibular system, which is your inner ear and your proprioceptive system, which is your body awareness, knowing where you are in space. If you close your eyes and you've got your hands above your head, you know they're there. You don't have to look, but you just know it. So kids who have poor proprioception, they're sometimes clumsy. They need to lean on things. They drop things. They fall out of their chairs. They don't understand where they are. Because all learning has to do with multisensory, these yes. these
0: five, six, seven senses in a real world yes. for extended periods of time over and over and over and over.
1: And how they talk to each other and how and they how, they how do them. they work together so that your your understanding of all of them coordinating together so that they I don't even say it they just increase awareness of your body and I wanted to just throw this in before I forget cuz yeah. so I just thought of it with tummy time that tactile experience with your stomach on the ground and your feet pushing the ground and your hands feeling the ground very important for the tactile system we have a lot of kids that are what defensive tactile your tactile mean? system is your sense of touch so it's tolerating you know hugs and clothes and touching mud and sand that's your tactile so system So when a parent says my child doesn't
0: like messy or textures what do you say
1: we need to start there we need to start working there because gradually gradually slowly, of course we don't you don't ever want to throw a child into anything that's going to create too much stress. You have to have a little bit of stress to cause change. But if you go into too much stress, you're going into a fight-or-flight pattern. Right. And once right. you're in that fight-or-flight pattern, you're just in survival mode. You're not learning. Right. You're just trying to survive. So, so like we'll say, yeah. if it, if we've got bubble
0: wrap on the table with a nine-month-old and they're finger painting in yogurt, mm-hmm. the parent's like, no, no, they don't want to do it. And I'll say, mm-hmm. okay, let them sit in a clean spot, and I'll put the messy just out of reach around. I'll give them a tongue depressor and mm-hmm. then they can touch with something clean. And before they know it, the texture is touching them. Right. And they're like, oh, maybe that wasn't so bad. Right. They can just, they will find their way
1: into it if we just remain open to the opportunities. Yes. So the theory of sensory integration is that we don't do it to the child, we set up the environment and we help the child do it themselves so we have they have to have the opportunities there And we help encourage, and we might, you know, stress a little finger into that pudding, but we're not going to throw their whole body in that because then it goes into stress. But
0: how beautiful that the floor time with not messy, ordinary textures is equally sensory building as to that finger paint that's going to be coming a year later.
1: And it also plays into that proprioception. So getting that pressure on your body is telling your body and forming your brain on body awareness understanding that pressure between your your shoulders and your hands and your hips and your feet. It's forming that system also. Hips, hips, hips. Okay, so mm-hmm. I
0: have something that I, is a part of my soapbox. Sure. And that is parents putting children in a sit position that they can't get into themselves. Magda Gerber used to say, and it was extreme because Magda Gerber was always on the one part of the continuum, and I'd say, but listen to the message and play with this experience that we shouldn't put a child in a sit if they can't get into the sit themselves. So what I see a lot of times is parents who want to respect the child not liking tummy time, Uh but wanting to give them a full visual and power experience of the world, put them in a sit and they can't get out of it, and so they're leaning forward, squishing up those hip flexors. And stacking their neck. Okay, so go ahead, explain why... That whole idea of sitting on your own, not sitting on your own.
1: Yeah. So we don't want to put a kid into a chair or a bumbo until they're sitting by themselves because they need to have the core muscles to do that first. Otherwise, they're kind of stacking their spine down. And what's the consequence of that? Well, we're not being able to rotate, and we have a weak core. So we're going to start getting strong in our legs, strong in our arms, and then our, our middle is not going to be strong enough. That gets strong by rolling and by crawling and army crawling. If we don't have that really strong core and we have really strong legs and really strong arms, then it's very hard to sit still later because we feel very mushy in the middle. We don't have that awareness, that core, that strength, and it plays into speech because... So
0: kid, wait, before you get sure. to speech, so kids sure. who can't sit um, for extended periods of time, pre-K, kindergarten, or later... Mm-hmm. May not be an attention
1: issue, it may be a physical core issue. Absolutely. It could be a sensory issue, something's not integrated in their sensory system, like the vestibular system, which is a big one for me, Um, or their proprioceptive system if they're big leaners and they have to sit in circle time, and they're leaning on other kids and they're leaning against the wall and they're going down to their tummy, they just can't sit up. It's not a lack of social skills. It's not a lack of, it's not defiance. You just have to look at the whole picture. You can't go there. You can't just go straight to a behavior without looking at Are they strong enough to maintain sitting up? Do they have that core control? Do they have a very good vestibular system? Do they have the body awareness to be able to sit still and know where their own space is without sprawling out on the ground? Do they need the input or the feedback of rocking or touching or um, putting their hands on the wall or other kids? How did kids figure this out before OTs were so easily accessible to us? (laughs) Well, we didn't have such busy schedules. We were on the floor. We didn't have all these contraptions to put them in. I always tell parents, Tommy time, floor time, crawling, climbing. Don't worry about those marketing things where they're having all these contraptions that kids are bouncing in and exercisers. Try to stay away from those until kids can actually do it. Don't put them in something to stand until they're standing. Because again, you form that leg strength. You don't form the core strength. And this is a whole, They all the systems work very, very, very closely together. So we have to have them all strong to build that pyramid because on top of that pyramid with your sensory systems and your strength and your reflexes, you have your visual perceptual skills and you have your academics, and that's all at the top. That's your school is at the top of that pyramid. So when things start to fall apart at the bottom of your pyramid, then of course the top is going to come crashing down at some point. Where and it's can't. almost impossible to go back and recreate. Those. It takes some time. It takes some some hard work yeah. um, because habits are formed, behaviors are formed, and you have to accommodate for those also because mm-hmm. when you don't know where you are in space and you're constantly moving and you're getting in trouble all the time, then it becomes a self-esteem issue or it becomes I'd rather be a class clown and try to get out of the situation that I can't do because I feel bad. I'd rather be silly and, you know, get removed. Right. So we have to look at all those things. Okay, so we've
0: given everybody a ton of information. <laughs> Can you tell us some of your personal experiences with the process of when things click and when they don't click for a
1: child? Sure. Of course, when I had my son, I was on it. I was on it like white on rice trying to figure out, you know, is is he ready to roll? And my son, being as stubborn as I am, decided he was going to skip crawling and go straight to a bear crawl. Along uh, On top of that, as much as I was pushing for tummy time and telling my family, listen, he's got to be in his stomach, he did have a little bit of a flat spot on his head. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I did take him over for an evaluation for a helmet. It was very mild, but me being me, I was like, we're taking care of this now because I don't want to affect his vision. His ears had started to be offset a little bit um, because of the flatness on that one little side, which this is very, very important I need to add in. When you are breastfeeding, you naturally switch positions and switch sides. But when we're bottle feeding, people tend to go to one shoulder and stay there. You have to switch positions because... Just laying there in your arms and being held is creating pressure on that head. So we need to constantly be switching sides in every position. Side lying is very, very important also to form those obliques. Right. And anyway, it's okay. Back to back to Zane. He started to bear crawl and he was about four months old. So already I'm like, this is early. I don't like doing things too early. I want everything to happen in a natural consequence, you know, as they should for a good amount of time. And I was talking to my very dear friend who's an audiologist, and she was like, you need to bring him in for a tympanogram. And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is going to be the beginning. So of course, he had fluid in his ears. He had silent reflux. I had taken him off of you know, milk and very early, and he still had fluid. So I did everything I knew. I did salt. I did every type of therapy that was homeopathic that I could think of. Went back. Still has fluid in his ears. So now I'm starting to be concerned about speech. And I'm on the floor with him, making him crawl. So I took him to my PT, who's you know in my clinic, and I was like, "You got to, you got to help me here." How do you make him crawl? Oh, hands and (laughs) knees. I was on the floor, him over him, hands and knees, grabbing his legs, making him, making him stay in prone and reaching. That cross pattern for crawling is also really important to form the left side and the right side of that brain because it's forming all those connections between your corpus callosum. And you need your right side and your left side of your brain to be very balanced. You have to have all the details of your brain match with the whole picture of your brain. So, so crawling is pattern, very crawling, cross crawling. pattern. Yes, it's bitsy spider yes, fingers. Crossing midline, however yeah. you can. Okay,
0: give us other... Ordinary examples of crossing midline actions.
1: Um, for for older kids, just if they have a, a dominant hand, put their snack on the other side and make them cross over. Put the blocks on the other side, making sure using both hands. Okay. Yeah. And, and with babies, passing to both. So, so, oh, absolutely. Oh, so let's go to handedness because, of
0: course, parents with toddlers always say to me, well, so he has a preference for a hand. And I'll be like, but the research is saying handedness for fine motor isn't going to come out till later. Right, research that I saw was saying four, but we're doing r- r- handwriting without tears at three. Uh, yep. So there's a whole nother drama. But I would say, but let's just let's just keep. Working with both hands for brain development and not worry about fine motor handedness. If they always grab a marker or a crayon with one hand or a spoon,
1: fine. But as you're playing with them, interact with both sides. And make sure they're using both hands together, making sure that they have fine motor tasks, pop beads, stringing, things that you're using, both hands. (sighs) It's really important. Let I'm me just share. We had a baby yesterday, and this was four months
0: old. Mm-hmm. She's got the wrist bells. Uh-huh. She's holding wrist I've never seen this. 30 years, I've never seen this. She's holding the wrist bells in one hand, pa- tapping at them. She's mm-hmm. laying on her back, so they're mm-hmm. holding them above her tummy, tapping at them with her right. Then she moved it to her right and tapped it with her left.
1: Oh, nice. And uh-huh. she was looking at it, too. And so looking her, at it. So her eyes were tracking. Why and- is it important
0: for babies to look at their hands?
1: I just for tracking. I mean for tracking for the fine motor, you want those eyes focusing I was for at visual a attention. Once and they said, Nothing more important than a baby to study their own hands. Oh yeah. I mean visual attention alone for eye contact. Yeah. And um, okay. So okay, so we're back to where we're back. We're back to Zane. Zane bear crawling. Zane has now fluid in his ears, um, three months later and no ear infection. So this would never have been caught by any pediatrician, by anything, because there was no problem. I just saw the problem because I know too much. So now I'm worried about the flute in the ears. I'm worried about speech, of course. How was he hearing his environment? He was babbling. So still no red flags that I'm so worried about, but just fluid in the ears. So then I went to an auntie. And we just kept track of it for a little bit longer. And, of course, making sure he was rolling, crawling, doing all those developmental milestones, stretching the neck, because we didn't even talk about this at all, but right. torticollis, it is a very, very big issue lately. Torticollis in Why utero. Why more Prevalent. A lot of times it can happen in utero and if we don't change positions, we start to get comfortable on one side and then the baby's neck gets tight on the other side. Once it starts that tightness, then the pattern continues on its own and they're going to start avoiding that side reaching because it's now tight in their neck and that head tilt is now forming their visual world and they're learning their midline now at a tilt. Yeah. Their midline is now not a regular midline. Okay. So that torticollis can cause major sensory problems. It can cause speech issues because they're now not moving normally in their world. They're not developing the muscles they need. They're not tracking with their eyes because they're tight they can't rotate their head all the way around at full range so it can cause so many things so tightness in that neck you know if you're concerned earlier the better because what has to happen next for all those developmental milestones can be changed with just tightness in the neck
0: and if you are Giving your baby more opportunities for tummy time and floor time is that a natural way of
1: avoiding the tightness in the neck? Sometimes it's in utero, and we can't avoid it, right. and you just need to get checked out by a physical therapist. Okay. And if you're concerned, you know, a consultation—just do it. It's so really you important. you would just but notice that.
0: What would you? What would a parent be looking for, or what would I be looking for? A head the tilt.
1: Therapist? You okay. would see a head tilt. You try to rotate. You know, gently. We're not stretching their necks without any <laughs> help <laughs> from a, a, an expert, but just try to get toys when they're in tummy time and range it around their head so that they turn all the way to the right and then move it around all the way to the left. And if they can't turn their head so that their heads are going from side to side. Try to get to them side. and if you notice that they cannot turn their head all the way even if you're making sounds with a rattle and they can't turn their head to it, then maybe there's some tightness there. But that's how you can also train it too. Before there's tightness, you're using toys, you're using rattles and you're trying to get them to track Right. You know, all the way from the right and all the way to the left.
0: Yeah. Okay, so yeah. back to So that. there we so go. Everything <laughs> went really well for Zane.
1: Yeah, he was doing good, but still eight months, fluid in the ears. And then I decided I just needed to do tubes because I feel like fluid in the ears can really affect that vestibular system. Mm-hmm. And... There we go with, you know, the balance system and not feeling um, comfortable in our own environment because we felt off balance. So he got tubes, and since then, I, I'm telling you, he started babbling on the way home from the surgery, like crazy, it was like aha moment for us. So he was babbling, but when he was on the way home after surgery, he just didn't stop babbling the whole car ride home. It could have been the vibrations from the car too, that vestibular um, stimulation. But but it was oh yeah, ordinary stimulation
0: that provoked the the, the developmental
1: yes yes. And since then we've been fine. He's you know 14 months and he's got like 150 words that he says. So. It was something you know most people would wait right. till they have ear infections that they wouldn't even know to look for. Okay. But you have to look for those normal developmental now patterns. you
0: used the word. You've used the word sort of that it affects emotional development, um, being comfortable
1: in your body. Where is that connection? So when we don't have all of our senses talking to each other correctly, we're not getting the correct feedback. Say, we'll give an example. The easiest one for a lot of people to understand is being tactile defensive or auditory defensive. We are going to avoid situations. We're going to, babies will cry. Like they will be very overwhelmed. And that is your fight or flight system. So when you're in fight or flight, you are in an adrenaline pumping situation of survival. And you can't learn, you can't feel good. And that can cause, you know, when we have a lot of stress in our lives, we can get sick a lot, we can have immune system issues. We have a lot going on, and that's going to turn into behaviors because in our older kids, if we are tactile defensive, we're not going to want to go sit at the table at the birthday party. We're, it's too loud. It's, there's too many kids next to me. That kid's slimy, maybe on the playground. I don't know if they're going to push me. I'm feeling very overwhelmed with someone in my personal space. So they can. Feel, so that
0: feeling of being overwhelmed, the feeling of being unsafe or uncomfortable in my yes. body is going to translate into emotions and behaviors.
1: Yeah, control, Control behaviors, yeah. you know, a lot of kids. In your, your fight-or-flight system, you can either run away... You can shut down or you can fight.
0: Okay, so back to brain development, fight or flight, because what happens in my experience of parents' experiences of research information experts Mm -hmm. is that there's something starts something they're they're going to get caught in a place they're going to get caught in the that's right if my baby's fussing then I can't do the thing that my baby's fussing about Mm -hmm. so it's this idea of how do you walk that line of a little bit of frustration that creates learning and that a little that I mean we want to say it's oh children need to manage uncomfortable situations, experiences, mm-hmm. and feelings in order to grow and have mastery over their body uh-huh. their and their world. But I have to be able to recognize what's fight or flight so that I'm sabotaging learning or ignoring it
1: versus supporting it. I think some of that's a mommy gut, too. They're going to feel if your child can't regulate themselves back to being okay then they're really stressed out. Right? So you or they completely point. shut down. Yeah. Because you have the opposite end of that. Those kids get missed a lot more because they kind of look like the really good kids. They're really quiet, they're in the corner. Oh, my baby's so good. So good is not always good because if we're not babbling, if we're not exploring, if we're just kind of Risk-taking happy, matters. be if we're just too chilled out. That is also concerning than being really, really, really hyperactive.
0: Well, it's even even in the... In the like we were talking about the potty training book but before we turned on the mic. Mm-hmm. I will say a child who's really, really laid back, it's okay to give them the little bit of push uh-huh. that says you're capable of something you don't know you're capable of yet. But right. I will create a safe setting to let you know, take that chance, go forward. Right. So with the... So, so I also want to say, like, as a teacher, I want to look for every child's edge mm-hmm. because that's where learning takes place. You know, I have that plaque on my office that right. says, Lear, you know, I don't know what it says. Something like happiness is at the edge of your comfort zone or growth. Right. It's true for babies. We want to find that edge. Right. But then we have to know as the adult how to help them learn to manage the edges. Exactly. You
1: like okay, I said, you, that into you a You talk now for me. <laughs> you you want to cause a little stress because that's the only place where change happens. You can't be too comfortable in one area. You have to have a little stress to take that risk. But a full meltdown is also not where we want to go. We are not taking someone who's tactile defensive and throwing them in a, in a sandbox and saying, deal with it. That's right. not okay. But maybe you know, with their clothes on and their socks on, getting a toe in there, you know, and Mm -hmm. then they say and letting them deal. And you can tell when a child's going to totally melt down or shut down versus a little bit of whining. A parent knows that in their gut, what's too much. And and you want to push a little bit and a little bit of fussing is okay, but full meltdown is too much. If
0: I find that place where I can teach a child you can trust me here Mm -hmm. and be open to communicating with me, T- communicating what you're thinking and feeling to me, <laughs> then that's our little space where you and I interact with with children and where parents can know it's okay when you're on the, your tummy with your baby on their tummy yes. to 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 kind of explore with excitement and joy. Right. You know. So it's and, like, and so we have
1: to be careful with our faces. I always tell parents. Be careful how you react because your feelings are projecting into their feelings. They're looking to you and your reaction for each experience. Mm -hmm. So if they fall one time and you make a huge deal about it, then they're going to make a huge deal about falling. When falling is a natural process to development, you need to fall for a solid year before you understand how not to fall. Well, because all spatial
0: knowledge comes, that's one thing that's not innate. There are so many things, like kids are going to learn to clap because that's pre-programmed in their dna with all the right environmental circumstances but depth perception is not pre-programmed it means falling it means it means you got to do road runner off cliffs (laughs) Um, and hopefully the parents manage those cliffs to make them small yes and so bumps bumps and goose eggs and cuts how how do we manage a not safe world
1: for our babies as a mom, how do you how do, how do you live with uh he's gonna get he's gonna hurt himself. He is. And you know, obviously we wanna provide the safe environments for them to learn how to fall, but they do need to fall and we need to not make a big deal. I, I, I truly believe in not brushing it off and in Reassuring their feelings and saying, yes, ouch, that hurt, and I'm so sorry that hurt, but let's try again, and we'll do it this way, and mm-hmm. I'll show them how to do it, show them motor planning and how to get down safely, feet first, yeah. and then it's amazing. They just do it.
0: Because they and I'm, a, I'm, you know, because I'm so kinesthetic as a mm-hmm. learner, you know, I enjoy falling, so I can say, oh, it's fun to fall. Sometimes, And they'll look at me like, hmm, is it? And I'm not telling them what to feel, but I'm like, I can at least, because my experience is truthfully that, say, hmm, maybe it's not bad to fall.
1: Maybe- no, and, and boys especially, they learn their bodies through rough and tumble play.
0: Really? They do. You want to say
1: something about gender differences in learning? And girls, too. Of course, of course. But, you know, our world is so set up now to be safe and protected that the boys are not—and the girls—are not getting the experiences the same like we used to. Climbing trees, building with tires and wood— all that forms that body awareness yeah. and so we have to give them those opportunities you know all of our inside activities are in chairs and their bodies are not moving and then I get a lot of parents that are have so much anxiety about their kids being rough yeah. and yes there is a, a point where it's too rough if we're hurting other people that's too rough right. but then I always say well do you guys wrestle? Does, you know, do you wrestle? I wrestle with Zane all the time. I mean, it's a thing we do every day. Mm. And so does Daddy. You know, we wrestle. We, we That's how he's learning his body and his graded control and his pressure and what's okay and what's not okay. Right, you learn not, you learn. I do with a, 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 a,
0: the five in the bed rhyme with the kids and we bump our heads on the table but I have to pretend and show them I'm not really bumping my head and they laugh because mm-hmm. they get that it's a joke. Mm-hmm. So before you know what too much is you have to some. but there will be kids who will literally bump their head and go of course. well I, that hurts." Ouch. And I'm like mm-hmm. yeah but I didn't bump my head. Ha ha ha. Like so then they figure out yeah before they know what too rough is they have, they have to find to, yes. their edges.
1: It's like the first tantrum when a kid throws them themselves down on the floor and hits themselves really hard on the tile most likely they're not going to do it again they'll go they'll they'll have that tantrum again but they right. slowly lower themselves down they know how and to fall it, slowly they, they make it dramatic how to fall slowly because they hit themselves hard the first time right. and that's right. the example right. for their bodies they have to learn it first we just we try to we try to manage the bumps and bruises but we can't protect them all we can't bubble wrap our kids they have to learn
0: I love it I love it you I just I think the insights that you bring to how children learn and grow and thrive in this world are priceless and so how can people reach you contact you and get more information about supporting their children's whole development
1: well they can always ask you <laughs> You know, I'm not too shy about giving out my cell phone. Parents text me on their kids' first poop and their first drawing and all the time. And I love it because this is my passion. Like, I love watching kids change and thrive and be happy. Because their entire world is to play and, and if learn they and be you, happy. Shannon, V yep. is yeah, in Victor, I-S-E-N-T-I-N in
0: Boca. Your information is there.
1: At Therapeeds, my website's not way done, but, you know, it's because I'm working with the kids.
0: I mean, your referral network is golden because everybody just knows how extraordinary you are. Oh,
1: well, thank you. It's a fun job.
0: To be continued. Love having you. Thanks. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me, seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, 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 one more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Dearwester And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at, at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore time. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Lippman for the great intro, and thanks to The Front and the Follow for the song, Listen. We are listening. See you next week.